collected works, the poetry bookshop that used to be in the Nicholas Building uh, in the centre of Melbourne, there was a photo wall and on it there were pictures of all the poets who had been through there to launch their books, to participate in readings. It was like a, a visual history of everything that had gone on in that shop and I used to stand next to it and stare at all these people and I loved the way that that photo wall kind of became this this collage of moments in time in that shop and in Australian poetry in general and I was thinking the other day that these interviews that I've been able to do over the last five or so years operate a little bit like that because it's just one moment in time with someone. It's just a snapshot. And I'm sure that often the people I speak with think about the interviews they've done with me and think, well, I don't really agree with that anymore. I, I don't think about that issue in the same way anymore. So it is just capturing a moment when you sit down with someone. But I guess my rule has always been to just do that one time because there are so many writers in this country who I want to speak to. But I'm breaking that rule today because I have spoken to Pam Brown before. I spoke with her in June 2019. I listened back to that interview to prepare for this conversation. And uh, I don't think I asked her any questions. (laughs) I think I just sat there. Uh, and was probably feeling pretty overawed. So I was very, very grateful to have a second opportunity to speak with Pam. But I would have done this anyway, no matter what that first interview was like, because as I said to Pam, when I went to her place to have this conversation, she's really it for me when it comes to poets writing in this country. Pam Brown is it. She is how I want to be as a poet. I hope to be writing for as long as she has, and I hope to stay as flexible a thinker, as generous a person, and as curious a person. And yes, I also wish I could write the way she does, with that same lightness of touch. That is what I am always trying to achieve but I don't think it's something that you can try to achieve I think it's just it's either there or it's not but still I'm I'm going to continue to aim in that direction so I had to speak to Pam again because she put out this book at the end of 2021 called Stasis Shuffle out from Hunter Publishers and As soon as I saw it announced, I thought, well, this is, I have to have this book because this is Pam. It's called Stasis Shuffle, so probably she's going to be talking about the pandemic and of any poet writing in Australia today, she's the one I want to hear from most on that topic. But I got it, and it's actually a completely different thing and delightful in a totally different way. It is not a lockdown collection. It's not a collection of pandemic poems. It's something different entirely, but it does have these weird resonances. Somehow it projects forward into the pandemic without even meaning to. And it also has 
as we talk about a little bit here, probably the most perfect poem about Canberra, where I'm from, um, that has ever been or will ever be written. <laughs> that's that's my, my claim on that one. As I was leaving Pam's house, I remembered that one of the questions I wanted to ask her was whether she had ever considered doing a collected. She pretty much dismissed that idea out of hand, but I don't know. I, I planted the seed. I, I still have hope that something like that might exist in the world uh, eventually. But in the meantime, we have Stasis Shuffle and the other books that we mentioned here. I am just always so excited by Pam's work in all of its forms. And so, yes, I'm breaking my rule. And here she is again. Before we jump into the conversation, a really quick admin note, I guess. Is it an admin note? I don't know exactly what it is. Essentially, I uh, deleted my Twitter accounts <laughs> because for so many reasons, um, because it was it was colonizing my brain in a way that I, that I absolutely hated. And I'd been thinking for months about how much I wanted to get rid of it, but could I really get rid of it? And wouldn't that really impact the the audience for the show? And, you know, there were certain people on there that I loved to talk to or, you know, loved to, to see what they were talking about and could I really do it? And then one day I just it just snapped and I just I, I deleted it. Um, as it turns out, you can reactivate your account um, for a whole month and so it's not actually deleted. Um, but yeah, so I feel a little bit uh, sheepish about that, um, but I also feel really good about it. I probably will go back on there because I think at the end of the day, it does support this show. But in the meantime, there are some physical and mental health issues that I need to address and Twitter was not helping me with that. So <laughs> so I'm not on there right now. Um, please don't take it personally. I'm sure you didn't even notice. Um, of course you didn't notice. What the hell? Nobody cares. Um, yeah, let's get to Pam Brown right now. I was talking to Bonnie Cassidy about this book and just raving on about how excited I was that it existed. And she said, oh, well, maybe you could review it, but I would just rather do this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think it's been reviewed anywhere yet that I'm aware of. Oh, there's been um, a couple of short notices uh, in Canada. Ah. There's a fellow called Rob McLennan who runs, he's very, very busy, and he runs um, magazines, chapbooks. Um, and he has a blog and he if you send him something which we've been doing since the jacket days we've been exchanging chapbooks and things so I sent him a copy not I wasn't expecting anything mm. but he usually reviews so he did a, um, a short um, a short review um, sort of a capsule kind of note thing. Mm -hmm. it was quite good mm -hmm. and another person who lives in Japan oh, Jane Jarrett's Nakagawa who we exchange books too and really like us. There's a similarity in our works, I think that's why. Anyway, she did a, a sandwich one. I was sandwiched with about three other, three other books. Right, yeah. right. So, so it's had a couple of mentions 
in obscure places, which mm. is fine by me. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that they're reading it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I ask because I know that it's called Stasis Shuffle. There are mentions in it of things that you could read as related to the pandemic, but as you explained to me um, over email, it's it was written before the pandemic. Absolutely. So there's some sort of strange future echo going on here. <laughs> well, there has always been, I think, a it's probably a myth, a kind of myth, an idea that poetry has a precognizance about it, you know, um, uh, or maybe anything you can think or imagine can happen, you know, like anything you can imagine can occur or can be made or whatever, you know, like if you imagine flying back in <laughs> back in like the medieval times, it finally mm. happened, mm. that sort of thing. So I think there's a sort of, um, I, I'm not sort of a mystic or anything. I mean, I don't, I'm not going that far. You don't strike me as a mystic. <laughs> no, I, and it could be like a bit zeitgeisty or a bit, um, yes, I'm not sure why that happened, but but I, do, I did find it surprising myself that the very first poem has, has a thing about um, my body will know what to do with the virus in two weeks' time. Yeah. Um, but I think I must have had a flu shot or something when I wrote that poem. Seriously? Something like that. And so then strange. I started writing about, you know, um, it, it led me to the whole thing of how people look at illness and stuff, you know, and come and read your roomy poems that you really would rather not hear. <laughs> I'm so glad that you mentioned that yes. because the roomy thing is an unstoppable and very irritating force. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um, anyway... So that's sort of, I don't know why, and there are other references too throughout mm. that I can't quite remember, but throughout that kind of sound pandemic-y, like because you, and even the title, Stasis Shuffle, mm. but that was in this room here and I was kind of, you know, feeling like I was in a shuffling in a stasis, you know, mm. uh, and that was way before the pandemic, but that's mm. what we did eventually in our houses you know we were in stasis and sort of shuffling around <laughs> yeah surviving Shuffle back and forth <laughs> between the same three rooms yeah it, there's mentions of masks cancellations inactivity and there's one line which i think it basically sums it up an increasingly worrying situation from which it might be impossible to awake yeah creepy <laughs> I know it is. It is spooky, but I think I think um, that's why we put that little sheet out. With if anyone's reviewing it, they mm. get that. Other people don't. Like, mm. um, oh, I sent you the. Yes, I sent it to you. Yeah. Um, just to say that if you encapsulate it as a as a as a pandemic um, book, it isn't. And I don't really. I, I never. I actually at the beginning of the pandemic never thought I'd even do the one that we did do during the pandemic because I thought everyone's going to be doing their pandemic book and we were all a bit sort of um, uh, a bit superior to that idea at the beginning you know yeah. but now I think a lot of really amazing work happened in that in that period because people's kind of presentation wasn't available in real life and so yeah. I think people really changed a lot of things that they 
that they did, it ha even unconsciously, I think it had such an effect. Yeah, yeah, I had a conversation with a, a well-known poet in the early days who said, Alice, we're about to see a wave of incredibly bad virus poems. True. And that at that time, I was sort of like, oh, yes. Oh, it's going to be terrible, isn't it? But at a point, at some point, it's like, well, this is life now. Yeah. You have to keep writing. Yeah. But that was something I was going to ask you because most of the poets that I've spoken to over the last, um, probably the last six months at least, have spoken about a point at which they just stopped, stopped writing um, for sure, maybe maybe stopped reading as well. But given that Stasis Shuffle came out, it was written in, in 2019, came out in 2021, and now Endings and Spacings is following that up, that gives me the sense that you didn't really break stride. Is that fair to say? Um, well, I don't really have a very strong stride anyway. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm very, because the, those poems, actually Stasis, Stasis Shuffle looks a bit more stridey, even though it's called Stasis, Stasis Shuffle, because they're standalone poems. Yeah. But generally, there are some that are a little longer in there, like um, the first one, I think. But um, generally, I'm, you know, as you know, a fragmented, I, I do fragments, really. Um, sometimes they get a bit longer and... Um, so it's more kind of compiling an assembly mm. and so I, I think I did stop I didn't ever think I mean I did it did there's a the first poem in here is called in the in the pandemic books called crossing my mind and I do say in that am I done with poems or are poems done with me like I did actually it did occur to me that that's mainly to do with aging I think mm. and I thought you know what do I have to say anymore and if and I've always had a policy if I don't have anything to say don't say anything like don't push it you know so I don't think I I stopped but I was very aware of um very self-conscious about making poems I guess and mm -hmm. thinking what what am I you know what what, what will I say here yeah. so it became um more condensed and more localized like at the end of that book the pandemic book we go out and look at the stars and stuff Jane and I at four o'clock in the morning because there was a line up and you're awake you can't sleep mm. so I kind of wrote more what was actually what living was like I guess in that book and mm. always thinking why are we here <laughs> that <laughs> is of, the question you know. that it comes through very much in, in Stasis Stasis Shuffle. Shuffle. it's yeah. there in the previous books as well but mm. Here, yeah, you are. You seem to be asking that question pretty directly at certain points. Mm. Um, I would love to ask you to read the poem Canberra Drains. Would you be oh. happy to do that for me? I didn't well, prepare you for that. You're very familiar with Canberra, I think. I'm extremely familiar with Canberra. Um, Canberra Drains is from some years ago, it's probably about whenever the um. They had a big exhibition, which is mentioned in here, about the story of the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. Oh, and right. it was on at the um, Canberra Museum, the National Museum. Mm -hmm. And um, we went down to see it and stayed in Canberra. And it was holidays, so nothing was happening. So this is what was happening. <laughs> it's a poem called Canberra Drains. Goodbye, January. Hello, Canberra. Here for Seven Sisters Pleiades song lines. 
the supermoon not visible from this bar, too soon in the night. Blood red and blue moon coming much later in the early hours. Last night of January. It's not me, I mean, I feel I'm not me or this place is not for me. Five gadgets in this room display the time. There is a bonus, humidity is behind me now, as are barking dogs. Perfect the systemic management of culture, said Xi Jinping last year. Canberra has a go at that. The city lakes fountain turned off every day before 11 and after 2. Power too costly, they say. Bush capital. But, but, everyone's seen the wind farms turning up power on the other lake shore across the federal highway. A history museum exhibits Canberra drains. Canberra's drains are just for the rain, says the Improve and Care brochure. At Civic Bus Station intersection, a tall man in corduroy sells poems. It's a vocation. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm not. How much? Whatever you can pay. Three dollars? One page, handwritten, minimal, barking, dog-eared, cheapest poem. In the parlour wine room, plaster ceiling roses adorn an olive green feature wall. I'm here reading a memoir by someone I don't know of a dead poet I knew. It's strange, unsettling, odd, just off kilter. She tells parts of his life across some years in which he behaved like the person I knew, but his poetry friends never knew these other friends. His name now famous as pub graffiti down south. It's still holidays here. Progress is a phantasm. Four people on a tourist ferry slipping, slipping slowly by, really slowly, prolonging listlessness, heading for a carillion on the shore. Nobody's governing. No barking dog, eat barking dog. Thank you. Thanks for reading that for me. And thank you for writing it. <laughs> An it's, exhibition about drains is really a wonderful concept, though, you know, don't you think? Yes. It was right on the lake, in the little lake, um, <laughs> Lake Billy Griffin. Um, it's sort of like a museum or information centre. Yep. Mm, I learned a lot about drains in Canberra. Oh, my God. I mean, it is a great concept. If only it weren't probably one of the two things that were happening at that point. Um, this is the perfect Canberra poem. No one is, is going to top this ever for my money it is yeah I'm not sure I really have a question it's more just gushing at this point but this helps me to feel so understood because the it it holds in it this stasis this frozenness that Canberra mm -hmm. has always had and my friends who still live there I lived there. I was born there. I lived there till I was 27, and um, people continue to say to me, "It's getting better. You know, there's, there's more going on. It's good, and yeah, it's really different now." And I just want to shake them. <laughs> <laughs> it 
is always going to be like this because it is designed in such a way that it can't fight against its own um the stasis is built into the city to the design of the city it is this huge network of smooth roads connecting up these three malls and at the center is parliament house mm. um, but as you say at the end of of the poem nobody's governing mm. uh, the politicians are only there to do a little dance and then leave mm. and come back here to sydney mm. so it's empty mm. and this poem um, i'm sorry i can't be explaining your own poem back to you but it's just it just i don't know i feel so much better having read it oh good I should say I enjoy visiting Canberra, but it's usually um, for uh, some museum. I, you know, it's got the museums. It does. And um, it's usually for something like that. I did have some friends who lived there um, years ago. They've gone. He worked in the French embassy, so he was French, and like, so we could. They showed us things I hadn't seen, like, and I hadn't realised, you know, the seven. The seven dumps of Canberra, they used to call it, you know, like the seven hills of Rome. Like, (laughs) because there's all those hills, you know, and there are lots of, apparently there are lots of um, tips in behind some of them right of course so you've got black mountain mount ainsley yeah and they're um, nice mountains that's beautiful say. this yeah. is the thing i mean the the words bush capital are also mm-hmm. in this mm. poem and they say bush capital and that is the phrase that one of the, one of the phrases that continues to pop up when people talk about canberra mm. and they talk about its beauty and it is it's it is very very beautiful I think so, yeah. and also it has a. Um, uh, there are lots of cyclists, mm. so it has a, you know, a really kind of alternative-y transport feel about it. Yeah. I mean, I did catch buses, but they were few and far between. That was very brave of you. Oh, well, I was staying close. I was in Forest or somewhere. No, right, no, right. hang on. We we stayed in New Acton, which is New Acton. Groovy. Yeah, of course, because you're going to pile a wine room here in this. Yeah, bond. that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you know Acton. that place. Acton West. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and it's right opposite the um, film and sound archive where yeah. we were. So yeah. I found that interesting to mm. know because they had some of my stuff in there that I wanted back. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> I got it back. I lent them, um, I lent them uh, an ab- early tape, a cassette of an early Aboriginal band that, oh, look, it's a long story, but I'll just tell mm. you quickly. I was in, living in Adelaide and working with these Aboriginal people who'd come to do music at a music centre there and they'd never been in the city before. Anyway, we made a, recorded an album for them. They ended up becoming the Brand New Day people, Jimmy Chai oh, and amazing. those people. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, so the sound and film and sound archive saw that on a blog I did and asked me, could they borrow this tape because mm. they wanted to digitise it? And I said, you can, as long as you send me a digitised copy. It took me years to get it back out of their archive. Um, and I was sitting there in this place opposite there at the parlor wine room, you know, or down the road going, my tape's in there, it's I've been there. writing to them. And, but I didn't go over. I just, and it did eventuate. I've got it back. It's sort of sitting up there. That's a cuckold's one there. See you oh, in a second. yes. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it's back and it's... Long story. <laughs> but yeah, Canberra's got, uh, I think, some good things about it too. I, li- I like going there. I don't know about living there. I don't know how you... What you'd, you'd have to be really busy. Yes. Yes. Mm. You just have to love work. Mm. Yeah. 
and I was always determined not to work for, you know, a public service job. Public service, and so yeah. I had to leave. Um, that I'm not going to get into a big side story about Canberra. No, let's um, leave Canberra. Let's leave it. Down the highway, down the federal <laughs> highway or up the That's trip. right, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the other poems that I think would be worth talking about, I mean, they're all fantastic, but the title poem, Stasis Shuffle, um, has a passage in it that I, I did want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's oh, I don't yeah, know if it's too long to ask you to read that as well. Do you want me to read it now? Is that okay? Yep. I know, I'm putting you through the paces here. It's a longish one. In fact, it's quite long, so I'll do that. So, Stasis Shuffle. I have nothing to say, and I'm saying it. Famous words, as they say, from John Cage. And I said it this morning at the cafe with friends poets. One whose strategy is to retire from poetry, that is, to perform the announcement of her retirement whenever she's invited to participate in a poetry reading in the future. We saw her do it last week at a poetry venue at Sappho's Bar. It seemed hilarious and sensible. This afternoon I shuffle in my room stasis from flux until sunrise to after-desire to heteronomy, needing a beginning for a poem. I could reuse some lines from fake double sonnets free associated a while ago. Perhaps not. Making poetry used to be a partially secret life, not secretive, but private. The other night at the reading, everyone seemed to be under pressure to be experimental and each to be differently experimental from the other, to be cleverer or wittier or funnier or more cool or just more far out. Who's the furthest? Isn't POMO over now? Everything's post-POMO. Listening to the experiments, I realise there's nothing funny about comedy that misery can't cure. I found myself lost. What is it that I came here for again? Last week at Piccolo Cafe, a friend recommended aesthetic trauma. Yesterday, someone told me, you don't look 70, you should try growing up. Ha, I look 70, 70 plus. Thank you. What would aesthetic trauma involve? Aesthetic trauma? Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's a kind of Lacanian idea or oh, really? something. Okay. I'm not sure. I think I did, that was recommended. It was recommended kind of as a joke mm-hmm. because I was meeting another poet I won't name who knows a lot about Lacan, and she said to me, "I, I was I, I was sort of probably saying I didn't have many ideas or something. A conversation like that." And she said, "You need aesthetic trauma." <laughs> In my mind, I'm thinking, "You've got to go down to Mona. Would that help?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, visit to the, um, what's it called? Visit to Mona would be great. Yeah, that might That'd help. That'd get you going. Yeah. <laughs> but so the passage that I'm particularly interested in 
in this great poem is the one about the poetry reading. So at the the other night of the reading, everyone seemed to be under pressure to be mm. experimental, mm. and each to be differently experimental from the other. Mm. Um, and then it ends with that fantastic. I realise there's nothing funny about comedy that misery can't cure. <laughs> you poetry could, reading could you take could you of course reverse that. There's nothing funny about misery that comedy can't cure. I mean, both are true. You could. Yeah. I yeah. did think of doing that, and then I thought, oh, that would be terrible. It would ruin the poem. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would, yes. Yeah. I think it would probably ruin the poem. I shouldn't even have confessed to that. <laughs> no, that's great, though. Um, I was looking at a an interview with you when you were ABR's Poet of the Month back in 2018, and they asked, they had those sort of form questions that they asked, and they mm. said... Um, whether poetry was appreciated by the reading public and your answer was I think sometimes they're appreciating the wrong poetry mm. I have to ask what you meant by that and I wonder if it has anything to do with this pressure to be differently experimental no it's another thing another I mean thing. I would forgive being differently experimental mm -hmm. it's it's more about um um kind of uh confessional life writing kind of kind of poetry mm -hmm. and the kind of poetry that the uh Murdoch Press um, particularly like, yeah, um, right. uh, which is kind of, um, a, you know, overly meaningful um, <laughs> and, oh, I don't know, just also has a kind of agenda to do with tradition. I mean, I don't have anything at all against tradition, you know. Um, uh, I don't use it. I, I mean, it informs you, you know, so I don't actually write in a kind of traditional way about, um, you know, history or Australia or all of those kind of conventions um, to do with Australian poetry. Um, so it's not about, no, it was never about the experimental. It was just that people, it's like they love the kind of confessional poem still. It's sort of like um, about some personal trauma or grief or... Mm. And yet it's, it, it, they're usually fairly, the ones I'm talking about are fairly conventional because everybody incorporates those emotions and feelings in, in, in their own way, but I prefer them to be more obtuse or more oblique or something. So I think they do appreciate the wrong poetry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I use the Murdoch example because it, it's the only, um, it's a horrible newspaper, but it's the only newspaper that publishes any poems. I think the Saturday paper started doing some occasionally and they're always kind of big meaningful things that you go yawn I think I'll just have my breakfast you know <laughs> there's nothing for me there but yeah. no it isn't about that that's just kind of the pressure I think that people feel in a when when they're performing poetry mm. rather than writing it you yeah. know the and the sort of I mean it's it's wonderful in a way but then when you've got a whole bunch of people doing that it's kind of like the next one's going, oh, my God, I'm next. Mm. How can I top? You know, you know that from performance. I have experienced that at Sappho's. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Toby ran uh, Ern Malley's 100 birth, 101st birthday I reading. think I was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, God, how embarrassing. Did I, I read? Did I read? I, did I read? I was Eve N. Malley for a while when they did those. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> The sister. Are... <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, the nights are blurred to me, though, because I was, I had this horrendous poem um, and I really wanted to be the, the weirdest and the 
most experimental. I probably heard you. I, I'm just. I'm, and th I'm but that's the so experience hard. because it's like yeah, that's the pressure, you know. Yeah. And I think if you're not um, like performance is hard anyway. I think mm. I, I I think sometimes I think I w would agree with um, the poet who's retiring from poetry and. Do you know who that is? And did you I see did. that? Yeah. I did. Uh, well, I must have seen it, but again, it's so self-involved. Yes, and Amelia it's a Dale. Brilliant, it's a brilliant strategy. Mm. And when she she has performed it, I think in Melbourne as well as here, and right, yeah. um, they're in China now, so we probably won't see that much. But it was really, really funny as mm. well. Mm. Um, but you couldn't possibly at that at that event top it, you know, because. Yeah. We were all still doing what she was retiring <laughs> from. We were sort of stuck, you know, in, our, in our jobs waiting to get free. <laughs> Checkmate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd really love to talk to Amelia, but I'm afraid that if I asked her, she would send back a note saying that she's retired. But I should try. You could talk um, to her about her retirement. What She'd... life's like in retirement. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I just wanted to ask about that because I mm. I recorded an episode a little while ago just about poetry readings in general and just trying to think about some of the accepted constraints of what a reading is and how it functions and what we what we expect of it and what we mm. don't expect of it. Mm. And, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have any – if you could change one thing about poetry readings, what would you change? I'm not sure. Do they need changing? I did. I did. I did. I went to a, I went to a launch on on um, up in Newtown on Saturday, and the reading was terrific. The the illustrator of the poems, Joel Ephraim's book, the illustrator of the poems. He he did illustrations. It's a book they made during COVID, and Joel Ephraim's poems, and they both sat together, and spontaneously spoke about the book to begin with, and then. Joel sat and just did this, um, just sitting, reading the poems, kind of enjoying his little jokes subtly to himself as well, which is always really endearing. It's nice if know. someone's enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. And it was just a strong reading and some of the poems were quite long and I thought sitting down with a pal at a microphone mm. seems much better than kind of, you know, standing up on your own. It was a yes. whole other feeling. That was a good reading. I mean, I wouldn't advocate sitting down all the time. Although in Adelaide, at the that Ken Bolton used to do that at Lee Marvin readings, they always sat. You always sat with a little lamp mm. at a table, mm. which was sort of relaxing. You know, you didn't move around a lot. Like you know how. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I would advocate for sitting sometimes. And know. having a pal, having a friend next to you. I saw, mm. I saw Michael Fowler read it at readings. Um, at readings recently? Yes. Yeah, I heard that. Really? I must say I, they did a podcast of it. Oh, really? Oh, I, I didn't know. I haven't. I just want to say one thing about that. I loved his, I've read it on the page, but I loved his performance of the canons, the English canon. That poem is like, hilarious. He yeah. rewrote Samuel Johnson. He rewrote Aubrey's Brief Lives. He just, it was, it was fantastic and the performance was terrific all, as an audio piece. So mm. I don't know how it was but go on well no I mean it was great in the room as well and it was also just very exciting to hear um, new work from Michael mm. but the fact of having somebody from readings 
just somebody who works there, sit up at the front with him. Oh, he and, did. Oh, yeah, and just, that. I don't know, it took some of the that tense feeling mm. of mm. readings out of it and it just felt, even though there was no Q&A or anything, it felt conversational and everybody could relax a little bit and God knows we all need help with that at the moment like we're all trying to get back into whatever this thing is but yeah I don't know I was trying to sort of argue that there's an opportunity to maybe look at this whole practice again and maybe Mm. we don't have to go back to doing it exactly the way that we did before so Mm. sitting down have someone else there lamps maybe have a lamp Mm. well Sappho's has a lovely lamp you know the (laughs) lamp you can't it's really hard to see the poem but the lamp is gorgeous (laughs) have your stuff memorized because you might not be able to read it um something that always strikes me when I read your work and the times I've gotten to speak with you is how um you said that you're you're aware of tradition but not particularly you're not leaning on it you're not all that interested in it you seem to be really connected to what's happening right now I read this wonderful review that you did of Toby Fitch's Sydney Spleen obviously there's there's Amelia there's AJ in that book Um, I'm sure there's many other examples that are not coming to my mind right now Um, and I'm coming around to a question not about sort of uh, the younger generation or whatever that would be but I I wonder how you think about your your contemporaries that you came up with now because I know that you've said that Ken Bolton is your greatest critic and I also know that when people talk about yourself and Ken and Laurie they talk about this this group of poets <laughs> you're shaking your head already <laughs> oh god and and so I wanted to ask you about that because I suspect that that might, maybe there's irritation there that you're always all mentioned in the same breath. Um, and do you feel like you came up as, as part of a group? I think what happened was more sort of social than a part. No, it's, that's not right. Yeah, it was a social group in a way. And, mm. and I guess we were like-minded about... Um, uh, poetry, you know, in the 70s, 80s, like it's a long time ago. Um, and I really liked, I mean, I was much closer to Ken in a way than Laurie. And I always liked Ken's aesthetic and, the, and also his publication work and all of that. Like it just had, it was undermining what, you know, everyone throws the, the, the people away before them, the poets before them. They, you always have to cast off the past and get going. Mm. And we had all the kind of um, Jindy Warabax and all those people before us. And so Ken's work kind of really um, was, you know, it was a, an intervention in what was going on. It was also more political than everything when you look at what was being made. So I became very close to Ken and his various partners as we went along. And um, But Laurie I've drifted away from, and he, he knows that, and he's back in Sydney, but I feel that we went in different directions it might have been his time in England but so I think that is a myth that triumvirate thing that they that people do um, our work is I mean there are similarities yeah there's sort of minimalism there's kind of quipping there's um, I think I'm the most serious poet of the three <laughs> it, it sounds strange because I laugh a lot but we, <laughs> I think I'm the most serious and Ken can 
has a way of kind of pulling me back on that if it gets too kind of ordinary speech serious mm -hmm. like he'll say oh that you know but sometimes I ignore him and go ahead um, but with Laurie I don't see him much now and I think um, I think what happened was we did some we did a publication when I went when I went to Rome for the, I got that studio after about five applications and finally went off to Trastevere and Ken and I were corresponding and then Laurie started to correspond and we all corresponded not literally with each other but we made this series of correspondences and then Michael Brennan put it together and said we could publish it mm. and so and it's called Let's Get Lost and it's a small chapbook from Vagabond and um, I think that really cemented this idea oh, right. so it comes that from we that. were collaborators or yeah. something mm -hmm. but we're really we're each really different from each other in what we read mm. um, how we approach it I think I'm more from so I don't. Th I think that's just a myth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that was why I wanted to ask yeah. because I see the differences really clearly. Yeah. I like each of your work um, for different reasons. Mm. I have I have my favourite, but. <laughs> well, but, I think I yeah. think some of the differences are that like like Ken will extrapolate and he starts off with the everyday in a way and doesn't always start off with it and so do I in a way. But he'll extrapolate right into this other yeah, area, yeah. which is art history. and I mean, it's so rich, really. And then he comes back and does lots of sort of blues jokes and mm. all these things that his poet is, is, is so full of reference. I just He's just done a book called Fantastic Day. And you, you can take it down. I'll be taking that down probably for about 10 years if I'm alive and, and, and reading it, you know, mm. because it mm. just, it's, it's the extrapolation that he does so sort of, interestingly you know um and and Laurie is more I think concerned about I mean he is more a visual poet in a yeah, way like yeah, he yeah. looks and sees what's going on sees the funny signs he's you know he's an observer an observant poet poet rather than a kind of philosophical one I think mm -hmm. even though there is I shouldn't really say that because if he listens to this he'll probably disagree with me but that's we'll how we we'll disagree, Laurie. It's <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, I've probably disagreed. We've probably disagreed before, but yeah. So I think there is a difference, and I think my stuff sometimes cinematic, more leaping. You know, like from scene to scene. Yes. Whereas I sort of walks around Australia, the Blue Hills series and stuff like yeah, that, and yeah. also has done those historic that historical book, which was amazing, the documentary book of Ashrange. Ashrange. I would never attempt anything like that, mm. you know. So we we are really different. Really if you different. Look at it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad. I'm glad to get that on record. But the because, social yeah. connection was pretty rich for a while, and mm -hmm. then it, I think we're all. I mean, I hear more from Ken now, um, but it's all email because he's in Adelaide. Mm. I sort of miss him. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send this to him for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I hope to get to Adelaide soon to um, harass mm. him. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you used that word cinematic. That's what I was thinking just as I was walking up to the house. I was thinking photographic doesn't do it, but cinematic suggests a narrative. When And as I was walking up, I thought, what about um, the filmmaker Maya Darren? Are you are mm, you aware of her mm, work? Yeah, mm. that's, oh, shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the kind of movies that mm. that you're writing. Well, I think um, because I'm using language, I can't quite get her wonderful um, this, this sort of a mystery and an energy in in her films that you can't get. 
unless you're making a film. Mm. Um, but I think you're right about the narrative thing that, like someone I know read Click Here for What We Do and said, oh, it's, it's a page turner. And mm. I thought, oh, that's what they usually say about novels, you know. Mm. But it's not a sort of, it's, it's a bit like that. It's a fragmented, it has a narrative quality, you're mm. right. Mm. Um, and that is sort of cinema. What I love about poetry and cinema is you can, you can, you can if you're fragmented, and, uh, you can move around wherever you like. Exactly, you've you got know? total freedom. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And the same with like a film, you know, you can be here, click, cut that and there somewhere else and, and jump cuts even. And you can make jump cuts um, I quite like jump cuts, you know, they're kind of like a mistake, but they're not. Yes. It's like a whole other thing. And you can you can do that with poetry mm. as well. Um, it doesn't have to be literally an image that you're making, mm. you know. Mm. Um, whereas sort of films and Maya Deren, they sort of suggest, like some of them suggest language, like she suggests language more than kind of using it, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah, you're right about, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad I I'm glad I was on the money with that. Mm. Um, which reminded me of so you mentioned you mentioned Click Here, which won the ALS Gold Medal. I oh, know. Yes. Mm, it's actually is a little medal. Really? <laughs> a pretty one. Yeah, it's like a brooch. <laughs> Did that it's in the cupboard. Okay. <laughs> Did that change anything in terms of I how you thought about your work? It did actually because I'm not very big on prizes. You know, I mean, I've had, I've been on short. Everyone's been on shortlists. I mean, it happens to everybody. It will happen, and <laughs> it just happens. And I, I get really sick of people listing all the shortlists they've been on and all the prizes. You know, and so I sort of stopped doing Note that. Note to self: cut out mention but, of shortlists. But I did feel really kind of validated in a way. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a big finan, it's not a financial. Um, award it's not yeah, a, a, yeah. A, there's no money but um I felt kind of validated because I do respect all those people and it was a good and Catherine Noski was on the there's someone she she edits Westerly now there were people who weren't typically people I'd think would see what I was doing in my work like Catherine and I just really felt validated by it yeah. and thought this is good I you know these are the Australian literary people and yeah that's probably the first prize that I've actually or award I'd rather call it um that I've actually really appreciated mm. yeah and it mm. came you know I mean I'm in my 70s and it came what just just before I turned 70 or something and so it also seemed like um okay you know <laughs> that's me now I'm getting awards from academics you know <laughs> like even though I've never been one and and I liked it. I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the whole experience because they were very gracious and kind, and you know it was a nice event. Mm. Yeah, over in Perth. All oh, right. Okay. Do you think that things are changing in prize culture at all, away from rewarding the poems we were talking about before, the Murdoch Press poems? Oh, I think there's good poems winning prizes. I've just always thought it's terribly sad that we don't have. I mean, even though I don't. Even though poetry is its own planet, you know, um, I find it terribly sad that we have to compete to get some some money. Basically, I mean, I don't think there's that much prestige in awards in a way because there's so many of them now. But it's the only way of paying a poet, and you know, 
large amounts or small amounts and and but the competition's really sad I think I think the big ones should be cut you know the state ones and all of those should be cut so that more people get a chance or bring back grants mm. like they've t they've I think they've taken the place of literary funding funding for literature and maybe I'll never see that come back but that was better you know you could apply and not get or get and mm. you didn't have to worry about competing with your friends for yeah well it certainly doesn't make for I mean basically if it's important to you but then you lose to somebody even if it's somebody who you really like mm. how it's... can you not feel you feel it would feel if that invested in it yeah it'd feel a bit hurtful probably yeah. but um also, it seems to be a norm that I, I mean, I am irritated by it. I am against kind of prize culture, you know, even though my books have, I never ever enter single um, poem prizes, never ever have. Um, I don't, I think just, you know, the editor should just use the money and publish the poem and pay the poet, you know, rather than um, make it into an award. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I did just read your new poem out in Overland, which is called Moot, the other T-shirt. And that poem includes the lines, How was your experience with the NBN technician? Hotspot service provider, you can track it on www Star Trek. I mean, maybe you could put that in for a prize. It's just, it's just a suggestion. It's just so funny. Is that, is that Ken pushing you towards more humour? No, I don't even... No, he, no, it's nothing to do with Ken. Um, yeah, it was just sending up... I mean, NBN is everybody's... It's it's the bane of everybody's life. Let's bad. face it, I've yep. got a net gearbox over there that I can hardly work to get my Wi-Fi going better. You know, I put it in and it didn't work. Anyway, um, so I just thought this is just a racket and, you know, and they ring you up straight away. So I thought, how was your experience? <laughs> <laughs> you know?